Waves in the Finiverse. The unfortunate reality is that bad actors always adapt to, to new technology, and the new technology right now is crypto. We want to make sure that Hong Kong, consistent with this convention, maintains its place as part of the uh, sort of international financial center. Now, the kind of things I can envisage, the kind of disputes we're going to be seeing, are going to be somewhat analogous to what we see in, in Meat World, in, in, the, in this world that we, we, we exist you know, tangibly. Well, I think it's entirely conceivable, right? Uh, what, what are your remedies against me in the, in the metaverse without some kind of dispute resolution function, without mediation, arbitration, or, or, or litigation? Welcome to Waves in the Finiverse. I'm Walter Jennings, the host of a podcast brought to you by Finiverse. We're talking with the wave makers that are creating ripples, waves, and tsunamis across finance, crypto, fintech, Web3, and beyond. Listen weekly to hear the change makers talk firsthand about their experiences in this dynamic industry. We're here at Waves in the Finiverse with two guests. I've got Henry Chambers, who's a senior director at Alvarez and Marshall, and Calvin Koo, who is a lawyer in disputes and investigation with Cobray and Kim. Gentlemen, welcome to Waves in the Finiverse. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, no, and now I understand that uh, you two have a, a, a common passion, and that common passion is crypto theft and fraud. Henry, uh, introduce yourself a little better if that's your interest. I think that's exactly right. Yes, both myself uh, and Calvin do have a very vigorous interest in combating fraud, corruption um, in the cryptocurrency space and tracking down assets for recovery where we can. And um, Calvin, uh, you're a lawyer with disputes and investigation experience, uh, but you also uh, are engaged in the digital asset world. That's right. Uh, traditionally, going back more than a decade, we worked in fraud, uh, asset tracing and recovery, as well as other types of cross-border disputes. And over the last few years, we've seen the rise in crypto-related disputes in that space. So we've taken that on as well. Okay, and Calvin, do the uh, crypto uh, disputes and um, uh, investigations have, have any benefits uh, over traditional fraud? Are there any uh, difference in the investigation approach? Uh, in some ways, there is a benefit from the vantage point of professionals like Henry and I trying to help victims of fraud try and find out what happened to uh, assets that might have been stolen or, or taken away and then some other types of dispute. And that's the very... Uh, sort of nature of the blockchain being transparent. Uh, and that's really been a benefit, at least at that initial stage of figuring out where the assets have gone. Great. Now, Henry, um, you're with the firm Alvarez and Marcel. Um, can you introduce the firm and a little bit of the background in your experience in the worlds of dispute and fraud? Sure. So, so Alvarez and Marcel is traditionally a restructuring firm. So we deal with companies in distress uh, when they're running out of cash uh, and so on. But, but I fit into quite a niche little part of that world. And I work in the disputes and investigations uh, space. Uh, so I'm a forensic accountant uh, by, by training. Uh, and forensic means for use in court. So we undertake analysis, investigation work, looking for details that we can use to prosecute or assist in civil remedies uh, when it comes to uh, you know, fraud matters. Now, as it relates to cryptocurrency, it's very much something I've been focusing on over the last 18 months, 24 months, in trying to apply those forensic skills and forensic techniques that I've learned through my traditional finance background and applying them to this brand new world. 
Okay, um, gentlemen, what are the types of fraud and, and who are the victims that we're talking about in digital assets? So maybe I'll jump in with that one. We're, we're seeing quite a, a varied um, type of fraud, lots of typologies. But, but the fundamental thing across all these frauds is it's about deception. It's about confidence tricks. And these are the kind of things that we've seen time and time again in the traditional finance world. But we're seeing fraudsters coming in, you know, professing to be love interests or promising giant returns in, in uh, investment schemes or even creating Ponzi schemes. And we're seeing this come up and, and we're seeing poor victims, individuals uh, who are putting their life savings into these types of investments uh, and, and subsequently coming away with nothing. So it's a real uh, issue that we're trying to tackle um, here, here in Hong Kong with a group that both myself and Calvin uh, have founded alongside a couple of others, which is the Crypto Fraud and Asset Recovery Network. While we're at it, um, you know, you're talking about frauds like, um, you know, falling in love or you've got a new, you've got a, a, a wealthy aunt that died and left you. That sounds pre-crypto in some ways. Uh, how is it that, uh, how does this all um, ramp up in the blockchain world? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. A lot of the schemes, broadly speaking, are age-old types of fraud, age-old types of deception. The unfortunate reality is that bad actors always adapt to, to new technology, and the new technology right now is crypto. Now, neither Henry or I think that crypto and cryptocurrencies or blockchain by itself are bad or instruments of fraud by itself, but there are bad actors that are using it for those bad purposes. Are there any inherent protections that come with blockchain and crypto that make it a little less malleable or likely to be tampered with? Well, going back to that previous point, it's very helpful for those who unfortunately have been victimized by fraud that it is a, uh, a transparent technology, right? So then at, at the outset, you are able to fit, trace with Henry's help and his colleagues' help on the blockchain where those assets are. And then depending on jurisdictions and, and where you see those assets have flown through, such as centralized exchanges, there may be tools and remedies that you can pursue which are similar to traditional finance schemes, but in some ways, with, uh, solutions that you can pursue even quicker. Okay, now, um, I would imagine that the majority of clients for your firms would be corporations and institutions. Um, so how do they get engaged in fraudulent activity? Um, and what are the types of scams or uh, issues that you're involved in? Henry, can you give me a few examples? Yeah, I mean, from, from a corporate perspective, I think what we see more is uh, hacking uh, and ransomware. Um, and whilst this in itself isn't necessarily cryptocurrency, often what we see is the way in which they extort value from the company is via cryptocurrency. So use that uh, to, to get, get the, the, the asset value out. So we'll come in, we'll lock your, all your files, and the only way to unblock them is you send me you know, 100 Bitcoin. So, so at that point, again, uh, the corporations are going to have to undertake something similar to an individual. Follow the fund flows through the blockchain and try and find out where they've ultimately gone so they can seek recovery. Okay, um, now I have in the room a forensic accountant, a lawyer. Um, sadly, we're missing a law enforcement officer, but what are the roles of the various professionals involved in crypto recovery? Let, Calvin, let's begin with you as a lawyer. Uh, well, you're right. The, all three of those elements need to come together. Um, so just taking a hypothetical example of an individual or a corporation that's been defrauded. Um, sometimes the first step is actually to reach out to law enforcement and make sure that they use whatever sovereign tools they have to more quickly try and freeze assets. For example, if we know that those assets have 
uh, gone through a centralized exchange. Uh, I think just speaking on a lawyer part, we help coordinating those efforts with the law enforcement. And then sometimes we'll need to engage the help of forensic accountants to figure out where those assets are. And as Henry said earlier, to help develop the evidence we need to pursue civil remedies. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there wouldn't be too much to add to that. I think, think Calvin's absolutely right. As, as a forensic accountant, we're looking to perform analytics across the blockchain and understand the fund flows to present in court. Because ultimately, for a court to make a decision and assist the victim of a fraud, they need the evidence on which to base their decisions. Right, so all of the evidence gathering and uh, all of the tracking of the funds. That's right. Now, uh, together, you have formed a new network called the Crypto Fraud and Asset Recovery Network, or uh, CIFAR. Um, uh, can you better introduce that uh, organization? Sure. So, so CIFAR, as we'll, we'll call it now, we've introduced the acronym. Um, it, it was formed in London um, late last year, uh, and it was a London-based outfit of forensic accountants, lawyers, barristers, who thought there must be a better way to deal with crypto fraud when it comes up. So they were there to share best practice, share the legal tools they've used, share research um, across uh, with a common goal uh, of trying to better combat fraud. Now, fast forward one year, um, we, myself, Calvin and a number of other barristers and lawyers decided, well, Hong Kong needs something like this itself. Hong Kong is an international financial center and it needs a place where they will be able to com combat fraud in the same way we're doing so in London. Uh, Hong Kong, alongside Singapore and New York, are all now founding crypt the Crypto Fraud and Asset Recovery Network. And so what we're going to be doing here is look to do one of three things. We're going to educate those who are investing and being part of the blockchain technology world. So how do we stop frauds happening in the first place? Because that's the best way not to have to recover. Do we want to engage with the regulators, engage with law enforcement, engage with participants in this entire market? And we want to enhance our ability and enhance the, uh, the adoption of crypto assets through this trust that's built, knowing there is remedies when fraud comes about. Okay, and Calvin, what's the longer term vision of CIFAR? We want to make sure that Hong Kong, consistent with this convention, maintains its place as part of the uh, sort of international financial center. And we know that those other jurisdictions that Henry mentioned, we're talking North America, New York, London, Singapore, are all paying close attention to how the crypto world is intersecting with the traditional finance world. And that means we need trusted systems and remedies uh, in place. So our longer term vision is to help support the Hong Kong community be part of that global network. Well, and it's well-timed because this morning, uh, Paul Chan and the financial secretary announced consultation to study better the retail adoption of crypto here in Hong Kong as part of its tilt towards a full-on uh, crypto economy. So I imagine uh, you'll see more crypto trades, perhaps more mischievous characters um, looking uh, at their ne'er-do-well ways. So I imagine this is a... a preemptory to help prepare the environment to be a little better ready. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, you need to have the entire ecosystem there. You know, you need to be able to, as well as have a, a place for growth, a place for innovation, you also need to have the other side of the coin where, where myself and Calvin fit, right? The undertakers, the ones who deal with it when it doesn't go quite the way you expected. Um, and so, so we absolutely agree with you. And we think this is a fundamental part of Hong Kong continuing to face towards that virtual asset hub. You know, along with regulation come, uh, comes litigation and or precedent uh, court cases. How are we doing in Hong Kong with the legal framework developments with regards 
to digital assets. I think one of Hong Kong's advantages is the fact that we have a common law system, which is proven to be flexible in regards to the development of cryptocurrencies. How do we recognize them uh, as far as property? Is it property? And there was also an announcement today from the government about looking into how to define property almost from a statutory or legislative way, right? So under the law, the combination of setting case precedents and also having useful statutes or legislation uh, helps define the, the existence of these assets, which are, of course, novel, and then we can derive solutions from that. And um, have you seen any kind of new tricks or evolutions in um, the attempts of fraud and corruption uh, with the, the new technologies? Henry, it's been a year since you and I last met. What were some of the more surprising um, headlines from the last year? If we look back through the year, I mean, one of the, the themes, I think, actually is Chainalysis, one of the blockchain forensic tool providers. We've actually seen hacking. Um, well, so that's not quite fraud. We've seen hacking um, as a big kind of nefarious activity that's happening um, at the moment. Lots of these DeFi protocols, these bridges have been exploited. So that's certainly been one where an, an area where we've seen an increase in this type of behavior. Um, and I think that's for a couple of reasons. Uh, I think, you know, firstly, uh, the effort to, to extract value from an individual, it, it takes a similar amount of time, but it, you, the payload is smaller. If you exploit a bridge, you might well access hundreds of millions of dollars. So, so we've seen a lot of that over, over this last year. Uh, and we've seen also other issues where people, we've not necessarily seen exploits or hacks, but we have seen quite aggressive strategies used with certain De DeFi protocols. Yeah, no, um, I think they've called uh, last this month um, Hacktober, um, uh, which is feeding in nicely to uh, Movember for those uh, <laughs> gentlemen concerned about male health, uh, grow a mustache during the month of November. But uh, yeah, so, um, and um, uh, Calvin, uh, what innovations in fraud and crime have you seen in the last years? A part of it is sort of technology based, right? So we have bad actors that are using different features of the blockchain, uh, whether it's mixers or tumblers or other things that might obfuscate the trail. And then we have uh, software companies developing tools that are used to try and pierce through that, right? And we've seen sovereign governments, including the US, work with those companies to try and uh, follow the trail and defeat those obfuscation techniques. And those are then being adopted by the civil uh, asset recovery community as well. Waves in the Finiverse. From innovators to investors, get inside the minds of the industry's top leaders in finance, fintech, crypto, Web3, and beyond. Get ready to ride the next wave. Bitcoin will eventually become a digital Can world. I be arrested for just writing some Why are code? there so many DeFi protocols that are getting hacked? This is Waves in the Finiverse, the podcast. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, look, uh, everyone's talking about the metaverse and I'm very excited to go in and what kind of crime is occurring in the metaverse? What, uh, what, what can we look forward to there? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really interesting topic and I think very much a future gazing topic at the moment. Uh, I would say there's, we've not seen this come across our desks yet, but I think it's only going to be a matter of time until we do. Now, the kind of things I can envisage, the kind of disputes we're going to be seeing are going to be somewhat analogous to what we see in, in Meat World, in, in, the, in this world that we, we, we exist tangibly. Um, we're going to see disputes. I think we're going to see asset disputes and, you know, posing a potential thought experiment. You imagine you've just bought your new house in the metaverse. You've done it all up very nice. You put in some nice furniture, um, you know, done the roof all lovely. 
and then someone comes in, they buy a, pe- buy a piece of land next to you, and they install a rubbish dump right next to you. You know, how are you going to feel about that? Is that going to cause some kind of dispute between you two parties? Will we need lawyers to come in and step in to mediate that dispute? Because quite frankly, that rubbish dump that's now next to your house might have devalued you know, what would be real money that you've paid for your, uh, for your, your asset there. So that's one one thing. I think we're going to see lots of IP related issues that come in there. Um, gambling is going to come up as a, as a, as a concept with the loot boxes. Um, you know the, that, that the laws associated with that are going to come up. I think there are a couple of things that are future gazing from my mind. Calvin, I don't know. Yeah, if you... I I agree, and I absolutely think it's it is a sort of future issue. But there's sort of the near term and the long term, right? And so in the near term, a, a lot of those issues might be addressed by coming back into, for lack of a better word, the real world, if you like. Right, uh, especially if the metaverse that we're talking about happens to be a centralized metaverse, right? So then there is a a company or some entity that you might look to to resolve the issue or even try and go against that company. But in the longer term, if sort of the philosophy or the idea behind the metaverse holds and it's completely decentralized, it's a very interesting and fascinating question. How will disputes be resolved there? Is it just going to be resolved completely by way of smart contracts? And there are people and organizations looking to develop, and they've have released things where uh, there's basically an arbitration based entirely on the Spark contract. So it'll be interesting to see you know, how things develop in the world of dispute resolution. Okay, Henry, I want to go back to my house in the metaverse, and I want to go back to my house where you built a rubbish dump next to it. Um, uh, am I going to be entering arbitration in the metaverse with you over this rubbish dump you put next to my land? Well, well I think it's entirely conceivable, right? Uh, what What are your remedies against me in the, re- in the metaverse without some kind of dispute resolution function, without mediation, arbitration, or, or litigation? So absolutely, I think if you're upset with me that I've built a rubbish dump next to you, you're going to have to come and sue me in the metaverse. Well, I think whoever made Mark Zuckerberg's avatar might have a case coming <laughs> at them soon. <laughs> Now, I've, we all thought Nakamoto's protocol was supposed to solve trust issues. Um, is this not working or is this just a human problem? The protocols work or they don't work or it's humans? Yeah, I mean, just to go back to that, one of the original themes of this is that the transparency aspect of it absolutely does work. You know, just as a, a quick anecdote on the sort of recovery aspect, if I'm working in traditional finance and trying to track down fraud, I feel like I'm always six months behind the bad actor because I have to go to the court and then go to the banks with an order to try and get bank statements to try and figure out where the money went. Uh, In the blockchain and distributed ledger technology universe, I can find that out within seconds, right? So from that aspect, it totally works. The transparency works. And I, I think if we if we think about what we what he meant by trust, what is trust? We're talking about trust in the system. Is your wallet your wallet? You know, do you have the funds in it? Are they your funds? And are you the only person that can move them? And that remains the same. The trust issue remains about who's using the technology for what purpose. Uh, and I don't think he was there to solve that particular thing because there are always going to be bad actors, uh, no matter where you sit in the kind of the world of finance and assets and cash. Okay, well, um, I just want to do a quick round robin of uh, interesting cases or uh, things that you've been paying attention to lately. Uh, Calvin, what's the most interesting uh, fraud uh, case you've been working on or you're aware of recently? Well, uh, you know, in, in some cases, it's, it's a, a, a close partnership, right? Some individuals that have started a, a promising startup and then like, again, in the traditional finance world, the partnership ends up coming across disagreements, all right? But now some of the assets that the partnership holds 
are uh, crypto assets and cryptocurrency. Right. So how do you resolve that? Um, how, where are, where's the crypto stored? Is it stored on a cold wallet? Who has access to that cold wallet? So again, it's, it's sort of traditional disputes, but then having to apply the fresh fact pattern of a novel technology. Understood. And yourself, Henry, any uh, cases ripped from the headlines that really attracted your attention? Well, more from my own desk and what I've seen more and more of what we call shardu pan frauds or, or pig butchering frauds. And it, it goes pig, back to what? Pig buttering. Pig, pig butchering. Pig buttering. Butchering. Okay, that's new. <laughs> Pig buttering. Yep. Yeah. So it, they're, they're, they're historically associated with traditional finance, uh, whereby you are approached uh, by someone online. Um, your, your a relationship is uh, cultivated, and it's got nothing to do with cryptocurrency at that point. Uh, and then slowly, the idea of cryptocurrency in, uh, investment is introduced. Now. Uh, at that point, you you end up transferring huge amounts of money to the individual uh, and they disappear without um, ever being seen again. Now, the reason they call it pig butchering is because you have to invest in fattening the pig. Once you fatten the pig, i.e. you built that relationship, that's when they cut off the head uh, and, 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 and kind of feed the family, as it were. Um, and, and we've seen a number of these um, in recent times and, and quite where they stem from as well. There's quite organized groups. It's organized crime. Um, and, it, and it's almost run like a like a company. Uh, everyone has their own delineated positions. And, and to the way how uh, sophisticated it is is really quite something to behold. So that West African prince that's looking to park money is not perhaps really a West African. I, I wouldn't be trusting him. Actually, it's a really good point because when you see what these uh, bad actors are doing, it's not the email with the typos and that you would think some people at red flags are going off. These are highly sophisticated operations targeting sophisticated individuals, people that have worked in, for example, the investment community for decades. And they sort of trust themselves to be able to spot these issues out. But then you go onto the website, they use legitimate centralized institutions to conduct their business. And all the things seem good and legit. Um, so to Henry's point, very sophisticated operations. Okay, well, look, um, I've heard now about CIFAR, um, the Crypto Fraud and Asset Recovery Network. Um, I want to sign up. Uh, what do I do? Excellent. So we have a LinkedIn group with over 2,000 members. Um, it's all, You just go on, go on to uh, LinkedIn, uh, hashtag CIFAR. You can join us there. Um, there is also a website, which I think is Um We'll have to double check that, but I think that's right. Might be a .org. You never know. .org. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we just want people to be part of the conversation. Um, this works when everybody has a stake in it. It's not just for me and Calvin to sit here and tell you how it's meant to be done. We want people from uh, across the entire spectrum of the cryptocurrency world to join in that conversation about how we deal with crypto fraud. Okay, and um, uh, I, I guess if... Just going back to the the corporate uh, the corporation, uh, we do have some digital assets, and I'm beginning to suspect something might not be going on right. Who do I call first? Do I call Alvarez and Marshall? Do I call my lawyer? Do I call the police? Uh, who's who? Who are you going to call? I'd say first off, call your lawyer. Right, call the lawyer, and that they're the best place to get advice. Right, if you need the asset recovery analytics, the blockchain review, you know review. That's when, when we come in. But most of, I think, when you have a problem like that, call Calvin. Um, he will then uh, assist you with whatever the next steps are. Probably going to report it to the police. You might well get involved experts like myself. Um, that's where I'd go with that. Thanks, Henry. Th thanks for that shout out. Uh, I think that's right. Co contact your lawyer. Sometimes the issues uh, require um, 
sort of a quarterbacking role to try and figure out what the holistic issues are, where the most appropriate jurisdictions or jurisdictions to pursue this issue are, and then we engage Henry or the relevant local police to move forward. So you want to have a, a, a focused plan in terms of resolving the issue. Very good. Well, um, uh, and uh, I'm sure there are um, uh, assets and information available on the CIFAR website that will help you if you've got any questions. Tracks in the Finiverse. Now, gentlemen, uh, we want to know your music tastes. Uh, we have a, a, a regular feature we call Tracks in the Finiverse, and if you're going to take music with you to navigate your way through the metaverse, uh, what's the song that would be playing in your background? Let's start with Henry Chambers of Alvarez and Marsal. Uh, I'd be taking um, Pompeii by Bastille. Okay, well, we're going to play that now, and uh, let's see how that, that sounds. I was Calvin, yourself, what song would you take in the metaverse? Oasis Slide Away. Oasis Slide Away. Those are very good choices. Gentlemen, uh, we look forward to avoiding disputes, um, to learning more about CIFAR. And thank you, uh, Henry Chambers of Alvarez and Marcel, Calvin Koo of Cobra and Kim, for joining us today on Waves in the Finiverse. Thank you, thank very, you much. very much. Walter. Thank you. This has been Waves in the Finiverse. Why not hit the subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode? If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a review and a five-star rating. Thanks for listening.